I was sort of praying during worship and my heart is always, God, what are you wanting to say to your people? It's not ever about, Luke, what do I want to say or what smart thing can I say? But God, what are you wanting to say to your people? And my, my prayer is that even through this brief time together now, tonight, that God will speak beautifully. Hey, Joy, why don't you two find a seat somewhere? No. It's okay. Bye, Joy. I think first and foremost, the thing above all else that I want to say on behalf of myself and my family is thank you. Thank you for the time we've shared together. Thank you for wel welcoming us in the way that you have. I remember when I got here for the first two weeks, Miles called me Charles. <laughs> I introduced myself about ten times. And, every t and the problem was, it wasn't that he just called me Charles. He did so, so confidently that I, I almost wanted to change my name to Charles. <laughs> he was so confident about it. Like, I thought I was wrong. Maybe my name is Charles in the spirits or something. I don't know. But it did make me feel fancy. I felt like Charles. That's fancy. And the crazy thing is his son's name is Luke. So it wasn't a foreign name. <laughs> he has a little Luke here. I remember when I first came in, the first guy that came and actually chatted to me and greeted me. It was a weird season. Man. It was COVID. We were all wearing masks. A big guy with a beard walks in with tattoos, sits in the corner, and it took a while, a couple of weeks at least, for me to find my feet. But the, the first person that actually came and chatted to me was Malcolm, my friend over there. And you've been such an incredible gift into my life. We've gone for walks on the beach. I don't even walk with my wife on the beach. And he's a fit guy too. He's like, let's go for a little walk. We almost walked to Melkbos. And he said, let's pray. I can't, I can't even breathe. I'm dying now. I'm like, God, take me home. But I think I spoke to the leaders the other night, and I think in so many of you, I found something that I didn't know I needed. In Malcolm, I found an older brother. And for the first time in my life, I was convinced someone would fight for me. Now, this isn't a sob story. I didn't know I needed this. I was perfectly happy just being Luke. I was perfectly happy doing my own thing and just carrying on with life. And I thought this was what life was like until I met you guys, until I met you. And I brought out that affectionate, loving, touchy-feely version of Yaku that no one has ever seen before. He can't keep his hands off of me now. And it's been such an incredible time of just spending time with you. I, the first home that I was invited to were the Delarues. Beautiful Lee's not here today, but Dana, to you and your precious children, thank you. It was never a dull moment in the Lee Delarue com. You never know what to, do, what to expect. It went from deep worship to Lee sitting there and going around the entire room telling you what your ethnicity was and where you come from based on the shape of your face. It was at all times, <laughs> exhilarating and exciting. 
And then Lisa and Lee would sometimes get into an argument over Italian food and who knew Italian food better. I don't know. It was just, it was a lot to take in the first couple of weeks. I remember my first comm meeting. Lee looked at me and said, the first, uh, my first comm meeting. Lee looks at me and says, so Luke, tell me your weaknesses. <laughs> wow. Deep end. And then over the past couple of months, I, I began to taste what Jesus speaks about in John 17, where he says that you and I would become one, as him and the Father are one. I remember meeting Alan and thinking to myself, there's so many things I see in him that I would like to see in me. And that's how my mind works. It can be quite pragmatic like that. Things in you I like, I want them in me, I need to spend time with you. And it's been a blessing spending time with you, my friend, and getting to know you. And as I look around this room, you know, very few people have blessed me personally as the Smith family over here. You've poured into my life, into my wife's life, and my, my wife's life, into my kids' lives. Not wives. <laughs> I'm about 75% tripping on Mypridol right now, but flew for two days, so anything that I say now, it's Mypridol, not me. <laughs> but I want to thank you. You guys carry such a pastoral load in this house, and so often it, it can go unnoticed. But you are literally one of the pillars within this congregation, within this family. I can look at every single table here and there will be people at every single table that you have changed the course of their life because of the time you've invested. And I, 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 I get that scripture that says, do not grow weary of doing good for in due season you shall earn its just reward. Now, I want to encourage you guys. Your inheritance is generations, not moments. Thank you for the way you've impacted my life and my kids' lives. It's been beautiful. So above all else, I mean, I could go around this room, the best-looking deacon in the whole of Josh Jen. Paul, you know I'm talking about you. <laughs> Paul, Paul, Haley is comfortable with it. You know I'm talking about you. And just meeting so many incredible and wonderful people, I've spent 13 years of my life trying to get away from my father-in-law, and here he is here. <laughs> and to see them come alive in the most beautiful way. The Swartz family, to bring me in, sorry, Duprier, 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 Duprier family, formerly known as the Swartz to bring me in the way that you did during some of the challenging and difficult moments, it's so reflective of the kingdom. Thank you. I feel like you guys, honestly, there's something about your testament in your children that's gonna be beautiful. It's gonna be beautiful. And what you shared tonight, there's, there's a tenacity. You know, many of us want strength, but we don't want the process it takes to get there. And sometimes deep wells requires digging, and God has dug very, very deep wells. And the digging is never pleasant. But within you, He's created deep wells. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit is going to continue to fill those wells, and you're going to be a blessing to, to many, many people. Jess, you're clapping for your own family. It doesn't count. 
I'm nervous to tell the next one because I don't know if she wants me to say it. It's funny, can I tell them, Tanya? Tanya, what you told me on my couch the first time we met. So, so I will start at the end and work my way backwards. Tanya is a part of our family now. There's not a week where Tanya's not in our home. She's there every week, and we love her to bits, and she's part of the furniture, she's part of the family. She comes in and goes as she pleases. But in the first couple of weeks, being in Josh Jen, Tanya being the loving, forthright, <laughs> champion of truth that she is looks at me in my house sitting on my couch and says I told God there are only two people in the world if they walked into church I would leave and you are one of them <laughs> and I thought how funny is God I mean I could have been at any city in the world at any Josh Jen in the world and you could have been in any other Josh, and, yeah, we, and God knits us together in the most beautiful, beautiful way. Fortunately, I've got a very, very thick skin. I'm actually not overweight. It's very thick skin. <laughs> I just wanted to thank you. Lisa, no one makes better fudge and marsh, what do you call it, marshmallow stuff, than you on earth. You've blessed us. And part of my thick skin is to blame, you to blame for that. But I wanted to take a moment just to thank you guys for the way that you've welcomed us in and allowed us to be ourselves. Such a beautiful picture of the kingdom. To Jacques and Jeanette, it's... <laughs> let, let me... Let, let me speak to you guys first. I don't think you could have any better leaders in the entire world. I have seen faithfulness and faith in the two of you. I would say almost unlike many other people I know. I've seen a sacrificial love and a commitment and an obedience to God, even when you didn't want to obey. <laughs> I don't want to do this, God, but yet, giving of yourself so fully. I don't know a family that represents and reflects the kingdom better than the two of you. Thank you for the way that you've not only modeled the kingdom of God, but brought me in to a greater understanding and a greater capacity to carry the kingdom of God myself. I would not be who I am today without the two of you in my life. And I want to thank you for that. And I know that last week was an incredible service and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, it's only a drop of the things to come. And I would encourage every single one of you, give your hearts, give yourselves fully and totally to your leaders. I've had the fortune of traveling around Josh Jen quite a bit. 
and it is commonly known and referred to our eldership team as being one of the strongest, one of the most united, one of the most experienced and mature. Our eldership team, not in a bad way, but is the envy of many congregations. And I want to encourage you guys. Your capacity to move forward in God is going to be directly related to your capacity to give yourself to your leaders. Some of us have been offended and hurt and disillusioned. Some of us have got stuck. And the problem with getting stuck is, Jesse, come here quick. I'm, use, use, I'm not going to just use an example. Don't be nervous, Jesse. If Jesse and I start the journey, but Jesse gets stuck because... He's been hurt, he's been let down, he's been disappointed, and he, his heart just can't move on. He won't forgive, he won't allow God to do a healing work, which many of us have done this. And the problem with an offense is, most times you've got a very good reason for it. Most times you can validate it and justify it. But you see, if Jesse's sitting with an offended heart, or if Jesse is sitting with unforgiveness, or if Jesse is sitting with something holding him back and getting stuck, what happens is if, as I begin to move forward in God, as the congregation, as the body begins to move forward in God, Jesse is no longer just stuck. He actually starts to go back in relation to what God is doing. So you're being stuck is actually costing you more than just your calling. It's bringing you into disobedience. Thank you, Jesse. So I want to encourage every single one of you, and because I'm leaving, I can say this, get over your issues. Every single leader here is human and will make mistakes, but I can promise you their heart is for you, not against you. So forgive whatever needs to be forgiven. Let go of whatever offenses need to let go because you're costing your calling and if you're not careful, you're going to start slipping into disobedience because you refuse to allow God to do a work in your heart. Get over yourself. Get over your issues. Give yourselves to your leaders. Give yourself to God wholeheartedly and totally. I remember, you know, I was driving to, to Wellington a couple of months ago. I was asked to go share something at TMT. And I'm driving in the car, and on the way there, the Holy Spirit says to me, Luke, you've never had to sacrifice anything for me in your life. I almost crashed the car. I don't know whether it was out of shock or out of like just rebellion. <laughs> what do you mean I've never sacrificed anything? And he says, you've never sacrificed anything because I've always replaced it with something better. I was like, whoa. I'm standing in front of you as a man that knows the depths of rejection like very few do. I'm standing in front of you as a man that knows brokenness in ways that I never imagined I would. If God had told me as a young man the road that he was going to lead me on, I probably wouldn't have said yes. I've known pain and suffering and loss in ways I never possibly fathomed. And yet here the Holy Spirit says to me, you've never had to sacrifice a thing. And for the first time in my life, I realized he was right. I haven't sacrificed anything. And too many of us are counting the cost without fully understanding the value of the reward. 
There's a calling of God on every single one of your lives to walk in the fullness and the wholeness that he has for you. But you're allowing things to hold you back and then you look and go, is it worth it? I can tell you I've never made a sacrifice in my life that God has not rewarded and blessed in ways that I look back and go, that, that wasn't a sacrifice. That was him saving me. That was him saving me. That would have killed me. At the time, I felt like I was losing everything. But he said, no, trust me. And every time I look back, that was not a sacrifice. That was God reaching into the depths of me and pulling me out of something that would have killed me. Many of us think the enemy's plan is to destroy us. It's not. The enemy will be happy just to distract you at first. Just to get your eyes off Jesus a little bit, to get you a little bit offended, a little bit hurt, a little grievance against this person. Just to get your eyes off of Jesus. And he knows if he can keep you distracted long enough, he can deceive you. And he can begin to tell you that that thing is true. And what happens is when you stay in a place of deception, he doesn't have to worry about destruction because it comes. And I can tell you many of you are sitting in this place and you've been sitting here for a while and you've allowed distraction to subtly creep into your life. You've allowed a little offense, a little rejection, a little hurt. And you're going, the cost is too much. I've had to sacrifice too much. And I'm telling you, if you're prepared to look at the joy set before you, if you're prepared to consider the calling on your life, the cost is irrelevant. Many of us as Christians, we treat the reward as a one day to come. No. No. Jesus says this, he says eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus. That's eternal life. You've stepped into eternal life right now. Your reward is right here, right now, Jesus. And I was praying early and I said, God, what can I, what can I share? And I felt him say, you know, tell them your testimony. I thought, oh, it's long. People are hungry. Marcel needs to finish his chicken wings. Are they finished? Okay. So I'll tell you my testimony. It's simple. Christ in me. My Jesus. I don't know about your Jesus. I don't know about him. I don't. But my Jesus. My father-in-law is sitting there. He's known me for going on 14 years and He's seen some of the journey and the walk that I've had to be on. I've had to be on it for God to prepare me. I've got another young man sitting over there, my spiritual son. Put your hand up, please. That one there. Ten years ago, he moved into my house. Ten years later, he still comes to my house for free meals. And if I could tell you one thing, I want to tell you about my Jesus. He's all I've had. Before you guys came along, he was literally all I had. I'd lost family, I'd lost friends, I'd lost everything. And I was tough enough, brave enough to just go, okay, this is what life looks like. I didn't know any better. I'm just going to soldier on all by myself and... I was content, I was happy, but I didn't realize I wasn't fulfilled. 
And I think there's a difference between being content and happy, and there's a difference between being fulfilled. I didn't know that I needed you. I didn't know that I wasn't functioning as part of a body. But through every season that I've been through, through every hurt, every rejection, every, everything that I've been through, there was one common thing, and that was my Jesus. And he was always close. He was never far. He was always fully satisfied and fully pleased with me. He was never angry. He was never disappointed. He was always understanding. He was always compassionate. He was always full of mercy. And the closer I got and the more I got to know him, the more I realized my Jesus was really all that I needed. I remember a young man, a Mexican missionary, coming to me the one day and he said, Luke, what's been the most difficult thing in your life? I said, having to unlearn everything everyone told me that Jesus was. Having to unlearn what church had told me, what people had told me, that Jesus was good cop and the Father was bad cop and God was angry. And if I could hide behind Jesus, I could sneak into heaven. But the moment I, I gave myself to the revelation and the realization that He is only love, and there's no variation or deviation that his anger doesn't balance out his love. His righteous anger is an attribute of his love for you. It fights for you. It brings you in. It wants all of you. He is nothing but love. Before he created anything, he was a loving father face to face with his beloved son. Before religion had come and, and ruined his reputation and made him into something that we were scared of. Before that, he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He talked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve sinned and they go to hide. And God says, where are you? He goes after them. He calls them. He goes to find them. Because that's what jealous love does. And the fire in his eyes is not fire of judgment. It's fire of jealous love that will stop at nothing to have all of you. To have all of you. My Jesus. I've always said I wish I could have walked with him in the garden. I wish I could know him face to face like Adam and Enoch and all of these wonderful men of God that walked with God in the garden. But the reality is, we weren't. The reality is, we have something far better and far greater where we're not walking side by side, but He's now walking inside of me. He's walking in the garden that He has created in me. It's no longer God next to me, it's God in me. And me in God. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to redeem the reputation of his father that we wouldn't live like prodigal sons too scared to come home. He came to tell us he's a loving father and he's looking for you. He's a loving father. His eyes are on the horizon waiting for you to call you home. He sees no spot or blemish. In fact, he takes his robe and wraps it around you. That's my Jesus. He's not interested in what's wrong with you. He's interested in everything that's right about you. And he wants you to look in his eyes. 
and see who you were created and designed to be in His image. Every condemning voice needs to be silenced when the Father says, my beloved. Every disqualifying voice, every voice of accusation needs to be silenced when He says, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. So my my prayer for every single one of us is that we would know this Jesus and we would know this Father. There is nothing in the Father that can't be seen in Jesus. Gee, God came and poured himself out into flesh and bone to show the world what he is truly like. Everything you see in Jesus is everything the Father is like. There's no bad cop. There's no angry, unimpressed Father. It's Jesus. When Jesus bends down to pick up Mary Magdalene off the floor, that's the Father bending down saying, my son, my daughter, that's not who you are. Sin no more. We have treated the fall of Adam as greater than the resurrection of Jesus. We have treated our sin as more tempting than godliness and righteousness. It's garbage. There's no way that sin is more more tempting and alluring than what God has to offer. But the world has programmed this and we've become so aware of our brokenness that we don't even consider His wholeness. We've become so aware of our sin that we don't even consider His righteousness, His godliness, His perfection. I'm telling you, God is infinitely more tempting than anything the enemy can give you. The problem is, as we sit here, keep looking, and we're so sin conscious. We're so conscious of the enemy. If we were as conscious as God as we are of the enemy, our worlds would be so different. If you are sitting in this room and the world is tempting you, it's not because the world has anything to offer you that God doesn't. It's because you haven't tasted the fullness of the Father's love. And as you begin to partake of that love, and you know that love, and that love comes into you and you see it, and that love makes you whole and fills you up and gives you purpose and meaning and passion, as that love makes you come alive in ways you've never experienced before, the things of this world begin to fall away. The answer is not to just, oh, that's not good, or resist the temptation. No, no, no. The answer is to burn so brightly for Jesus that nothing else even matters. We spend our lives trying to nullify the effects of sin instead of falling madly and totally in love with a Father that is nothing else but love. There is a goodness, a wholeness, and a fullness for every single one of us. If we just turn give ourselves fully and totally to Him. Fully and totally. So for me, if I could share one thing, I want to tell you about my Jesus. I know nothing else. Russell will tell you I'm no great theologian. I'm not. I'm not a great preacher. I'm not a great anything. I'm just a son fully convinced that my dad loves me. 
<laughs> and my dad's all of those things. <laughs> He's the greatest preacher, the greatest teacher, the greatest theologian. My dad owns the cattle on a, on a thousand hilltops. He, he holds everything in the palm of his hand. And I'm nothing but a beloved son. And everything the father is, I am. Because he has said so. So my Jesus burns in me in a way that cannot be ignored, cannot be overlooked, cannot be hidden. And my prayer for you, Zach, is that every single one of us would know this Jesus. This Jesus that gives life and life abundantly. Thank you for bringing me into family. Thank you for reflecting this Jesus to me. I am changed because of every single one of you. I am a better man because of every single one of you. And I feel like saying, I know I am loved because of the way you have loved me. So thank you.